a close time where uh, that comes to an end, and then you don't get to say it again until after Thanksgiving next year again, all right? And so uh, we'll be uh, looking forward to uh, next weekend. I'm so excited. We are going to have a special meal following the service, and so invite anybody that you can to come. We've got some special music planned. Kids will be singing a special as well, and so make sure you invite somebody. It's, the, it's like one of the easiest days of the entire year to invite somebody to church service is uh, Christmas Sunday, and so make sure you invite them next week. It's going to be a sweet time, fun time together on the 24th. You don't want to miss it, and so make sure that you invite everybody to be with you, and then, of course, you be in your place as well, all right? That'll be taking place next week, all right? Luke chapter number 2 is where we're at, Luke chapter number 2, and uh, once again, we've been looking at one verse as we've been going through the Word of God, uh, Luke chapter number 2, verse number 11. Let's, let's read this, and then we'll pray together and ask for the Lord's help as we dive into it this morning. The Bible says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We've been making our way through this verse, and today we're going to continue through it. Let's have a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll do just that. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us to be able to open your word, to be able to study it this morning. And God, as we've been walking through this powerful, life-changing verse, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to be able to focus our attention for a few moments and get out of the message which you desire for us to get. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be tender, would be soft. I pray for each person that's come this morning. No doubt, there's a lot of things on different people's minds, things that are going on, things that are coming up in these next coming days with festivities and parties and all kinds of things that are going to be taking place. But I pray for a few moments you help us to bring our thoughts into captivity and focus on your word. And, Lord, that you'd be able to speak to our hearts the way that only you can. Change us this morning for having been. pray, Lord, that you the words to say. And, God, help me only say those May you be glorified in everything that's said and done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The song was written in 1816 by a young Austrian priest named Joseph Moore. It is said that he looked out over his quiet, winter-covered town that had been ravished by war. And he was inspired because at that moment the town was at peace. He took out a pen and he wrote the words to the song. That song would be translated over th- to 300 different languages, was sung in town squares, churches, and even on a battlefield during a temporary truce during World War I. That song that we know as Silent Night has been tasked, passed down through generations, and if you haven't sung it yet this year, I'm sure there's a matter of time. We've already heard it on the piano, even though we didn't sing it. It's the second verse of that song that reminds us of the text that we're looking at today. The song says, Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at thy sight. Glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing, Alleluia! Then it says this, Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. This incredible verse that we've looked at over these last few weeks is contained with it many promises. We've already looked at a few of them. We, we saw in the first week the promise and the incredible message from the angel that was written to the whole world. But it was also written to each one of those shepherds on that night. What a promise to know that this message is written to you and to I as well. Last week, we dove into the powerful truth that Christ was born. He didn't just come as some middle-aged guy rippling with muscles. No, He was born as a man. He grew up understanding the pain, the sufferings that we have gone through. 
understands what you are going through in your life. He can sympathize with you. He understands. And so you can cast your burden on Him because He cares for you. Now this morning, we're going to go a little bit closer in this verse. We find the next description given to Christ by the angel here in Luke chapter number 2. The Bible says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. It's a common description that we expect. There's scarcely a week that you can come here to Whitehall Baptist Church and not hear us refer to Jesus Christ as the Savior. It's one that we use often. It's a, it's a term that is endeared to Christ in many songs that we sing here in the church and that you may listen to throughout your week. Christ the Savior. And yet, while it's a common title that we call Him by, this description as Savior is only found two times in the Gospels while Christ was on this earth. Once here in Luke chapter number 2, and again in John chapter number 4, verse number 42, after Jesus met with the woman at the well. Paul gives Jesus this title as Savior six times in his epistles. And John the Beloved refers to Jesus as being the Savior of the world once. In John chapter number 4, verse number 14. And while it may not be the most common title found in the New Testament, only nine times is it referred to as referring to Christ. It is no question one of the most significant. One of the most significant for them during that time and one of the most significant for us today. This morning, there's a simple question that can be asked and that question is this. Is Christ your Savior. Is He your Savior? Do you remember a time where you, where you consciously put your faith and trust in Him for yourself? In our Sunday school class, we went through a, a book on uh, uh, learning how to share the gospel with people. And we were going through it, and there was an illustration that was given that I couldn't help but rob from the book. And share with you this morning, because I think it's one of the coolest illustrations in the entire study. In 1859, the famous acrobat known as Charles Blondin stretched a tightrope 190 feet above the mighty waters of Niagara Falls. The crowds gathered daily to watch him navigate the 1,000-foot span. Twice he carried his manager across on his back, and he even made a special wheelbarrow for the ropes, and he put for the rope and pushed it across. That's an actual picture of him pushing his wheelbarrow across. On one occasion, he, he actually took a stove, a special cook stove, a wheel, wheelbarrow, stopped in the middle of the rope to cook and, and eat an omelet. <clears throat> one day he approached the cheering crowd and he asked, Who believes I could put a man in the wheelbarrow and take him across? And the crowd went crazy. Everyone wanted to see the stunt. They began to chant together, I believe! I believe! I believe! So Blondin pointed to one of the men cheering in the crowd, I believed, and he said, You, sir, get in the wheelbarrow. The man turned and bolted in the opposite direction as fast as he could. See, the man believed that Blondin could take a man across the the tightrope in a wheelbarrow. But he wasn't willing to put his trust in bond in himself, right? (laughs) Friend, do you believe that Jesus is the Savior? Yes, that he can take a person across the greatest divide into an eternity in heaven. 
And you may be this morning and say, yes, Kyle, I believe that Jesus can do that. But friend, that's not good enough. Because you personally have to put your trust. You personally have to get in the wheelbarrow yourself. You can't simply stand back and say, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. But when Jesus says, you have to put your so many times people say, oh, no thanks. That's not for me. If we could go around this room, the room this morning and ask you to share the moment you consciously made that decision, would you be able to tell of when you made that decision? If you're married here this morning, and I asked you to tell me when you got married, hopefully you'd be able to tell me when you did it. I would hope there wouldn't be anybody that would say, well, I've always been married. <laughs> it's not how that works. <laughs> well, my family's all married, so I am too. <laughs> what, are you crazy? <laughs> you wouldn't say, well, yeah, I think I did that. If that's your answer. There's probably going to be problems with the person you're married to. <laughs> all right? If you say, I don't remember, well, then we have a problem. You wouldn't say, well, I know that people can get married. That's great. But what about you? See, friend, if you're married this morning, there was a moment where you consciously made the decision to get married. I can tell you about the day, uh, now almost 12 years ago, where Tressa and I were standing there on a mountain in Sheridan. Where I looked at her and the, the preacher said, do you take this woman? And I said... Well, I don't remember what I said, all right? That's just the reality. I, I, I know I said yes, all right? It was either I do or I will, all right? But I went around this room and said, did you say yeah, I do, I will, I, yes, uh, you probably don't remember, all right? But, but, but I remember saying, giving a positive, yes, I will take her. And I remember them looking at her and saying, Tressa, do you take this man to be your husband? And, and, and I remember her looking and, and the pause. It seemed like it went on forever. And then she finally said, yes, I, I will, I do, right? She finally made that decision. Friend, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? There has to have been a moment, a time, where you put your faith and trust in Him. If you're sitting here today and saying, well, I always have been, my family always was, well, I know that you can get saved. Listen, friend, that's not good enough. You have to make that decision for yourself. And if you haven't, man, today's a great day to get saved. I didn't say, do you remember the exact date? I didn't say, did you remember the exact words that you said? But there has to be a moment that you remember. Where you decided, I'm going to stop trusting in myself to get to heaven. And I'm going to put my trust completely in the wheelbarrow of Christ. Because only He can take me to heaven. Friend, has there ever been that time in your life and if there hasn't, I hope you'll make it today. Maybe you're here this morning, you're asking the question, well, Savior, what do I need to be saved from? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We need to be clear why it is that Jesus had to come and be born that day a Savior. Why is that so important? We're going to talk about that this morning. You see, 
There's some reasons, some things that he didn't come to save you from. There's some confusion out there about what exactly he came to save us from. And there's some people that believe that Christ came to save them from some things that he didn't come to save them from. One of the, the great hurdles to many accepting Christ as their Savior is a misunderstanding of what exactly He's saving us from. You see, some believe He came to save them from their unfavorable circumstances. That He's like a lucky rabbit's foot, right? If I get Jesus, all of my life will, will just be easy sailing, everything will be good. That's why I'm going to trust Him. If I, if I trust in Christ, I want my circumstances to improve, so therefore I will make this decision. Now don't feel guilty or embarrassed if that's where you are, where you've been. Jesus' own disciples believe this. The Bible tells us it was the beginning of the final week of Jesus' life and ministry. His disciples had found a colt that Jesus was going to ride on as he entered into the city of Jerusalem. Luke describes the scene that unfolded in Luke chapter number 19. It says, And they brought him to Jesus, the, the, the colt to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice, to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen. They had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. In Mark, we find out that they were proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, which simply means, save us. This, they knew, was the moment they had all been waiting for. The moment that Jesus would come and overthrow the Roman authority and government and rule and reign as king. This was the day they'd been waiting for. He would save them from the oppression, the pain, the suffering, the circumstances that were, were, were less than favorable in their life. Everything was going according to their plan until verse number 11 in Mark. The Bible says that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, into the temple, and right when they thought He was going to overthrow everything, He looked around about all things, and the evening time was come, He went out to Bethany with the twelve. He walked in, looked around, and turned around and left. Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, this is the moment we've been waiting for. This is the triumphal entry where you're coming in, and now you're going to overthrow the government, and you're going to be the king, and I'm going to, and all the disciples are going, ah, we're going to be the one sitting on his right hand. I can't wait. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Everybody's made fun of us this whole time, but now he's going to overthrow him, and everybody's going to look at us, and now they're going to realize that we're the cool guys. You know, this is the moment they couldn't wait for. But it wasn't what they expected. See, everyone believed that things were going according to their plan, but the truth was it was going according to Christ's plan. They believed he was going to destroy the Roman authority, but the truth was he was going to die to that Roman authority. They believed he was going to set up an earthly kingdom, but the truth was he was making a way for there to be his heavenly kingdom come to earth. While all the people on that day, the disciples included, believed that this was Jesus' triumphal entry, the truth is, His triumphal entry is still to come one day. See, they wanted a Savior who would deliver them 
from their unfavorable circumstances. You know, the health and wealth gospel has done immeasurable damage to the true gospel. So many have fallen into the trap of believing that Jesus came to save them from financial struggles. That He came to save them from their health problems. That He came to save them from their family dysfunction. How many of you ever like, man, that would be nice if that was what it was. That Jesus is their lucky rabbit's foot or their genie in the bottle. But that isn't why Jesus came to save you from. He didn't come to take away all your problems or make your life easy. I know some of you are disappointed. While many have fallen into that trap that many religious charlatans have laid, we want to be scripturally He didn't come to save you from your unfavorable circumstances. Some believe that he came to save them from their unfaithful lifestyle. That was what the woman at the well believed. In John 4, Jesus told his disciples that they needed to go through Samaria. Now this was a big deal because the Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. In fact, the, the, the region that they would travel through as, as they would make their way going up between Galilee and Judea, there was a straight shot that they could take that would save a lot of time. And it was through Samaria. But they despised them. So they would go way out of the way. They would cross the Jordan River, make their way up and cross back across so that they could make their way from Judea to Galilee. And they would do that all to avoid Samaria, the Samaritans. You remember the story of the good Samaritan, right? One day a Jewish guy is walking down the street and he's beaten and left for dead. The priest comes along. The religious leaders walk by, and they pass by on the other side. But then the Bible says, a certain Samaritan. And oh man, as Jesus is telling the story, all the people there are going, oh, he probably walked over and put a knife in his back. I mean, like this guy probably walked over and kicked the guy while he was down. I mean, this guy, I mean, he probably went over and and, and grabbed him with his own hands and strangled him to death. That's probably what he did. And Jesus said, no, 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 this guy, he went over and he bound up his wounds and... He put him on his, his donkey, took him to town and, and said, listen, whatever you got to do, help this guy to get back on his feet. And, and we look at that guy and say, man, that was a good Samaritan. It wasn't just a normal Samaritan. That was a good one. That's who this is. That's who he's meeting with, the Samaritans. They have anything to do with it. The Bible tells us that it was sometime around noon when Jesus found himself at Jacob's well. By this time, it was late in the day and the heat would have already overtaken the area so no one would be coming to the well at this part in the day. Everybody had already gotten their water. They wouldn't come in the heat of the day to get their water except for one Samaritan woman. She came to collect water in the heat of the day. Out of the ordinary. This wasn't a normal situation. Why? Because this woman didn't come from ordinary circumstances. When Jesus asked her for a drink, she was stunned. Why would he be talking to her? He, she says in John chapter number 4, verse number 9, that the woman says to him, How, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She knew, she knew the, the, the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. She knew they didn't have anything to do with each other. 
Jesus' response confuses the woman. He looked at her in verse 10 and he said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee to living water. And the woman says to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From whence hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself, his children, and his cattle? What are you talking about? Living water. What? You don't even have a pitcher to get the water. What are you talking about? Jesus makes an offering that she could not refuse. He answers and says to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never thirst again. Or excuse me, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come thither uh, to draw. She too had fallen into the trap of wanting Jesus to save her from her unfavorable circumstances. She's thinking, listen, I I don't want to have to come every day and get the water from this well in the heat of the day. It's a lot of work. And she says, all right, you got it. I'll take it. Give it to me. I want my life. I want to get out of this unfavorable situation that I'm in. Yeah, I'll take the water. But it's at this point that Jesus pulls back the curtain to the real, reveal the unfaithful life that she had lived. Verse number 16, Jesus looks at her and says, Go and call thy husband to come hither. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou hast now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. There's no doubt that this woman had a reputation. We don't know all of her story, only what we find in the short snippet here in the scripture, so some assumptions must be made. She had involved herself in a broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship to the surrounding community. She would have been assigned with a stigma that was unescapable. A definition for a life that she could not get away from. She recognized that this was... That, that, that this was, uh, as we see, she was trying to, to avoid this, this stigma that she'd be given because she doesn't go into any depth. Jesus says, go and call your husband, and she simply says, I, I don't have a husband. She'd spoken a veiled truth that after five failed marriages, she'd given up on the traditional way of doing things, and now she was just following the lusts of the flesh. It is likely that this was not her first fling that she had had outside of marriage, and, and it likely was not her plan to be her last. This was her lifestyle. This was her unfaithful way of life. Ashamed, broken, she would have given anything to escape it. And you know, for so many, they turned her religion as a way to clean up their life. Even the world can see the emptiness that's found in a selfish, selfish, worldly pursuit. 
when they reach the bottom of the bottle or the end of the next high, they go running after more because those things never satisfy. They always leave feeling empty and wanting more. And when they want to buy bigger and better things, seeking after something that will finally bring happiness, if they just had enough presents under the tree, right, then they will finally feel fulfilled. And so many decide they're going to clean up their life, turn over a new leaf, and religion makes a great addition to this motivation. And this woman came to Jesus that day without even realizing it. But in the midst of the conversation, she realized, listen, I, I, I want to, to get rid of my unfavorable circumstances. I, I want to, 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 to have some help with my unfaithful lifestyle. But that isn't why Jesus came. He didn't come to save her from that, and He didn't come to save you from that. So why did Jesus come? What did He come to save you from? Well, the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus made it real simple to understand in Luke chapter number 19, verse number 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's further clarified in Luke 5. Whenever he wrote, I I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 14, we find that it says, We've seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So what did Jesus come to save you from? Well, the, the answer is very simple. It, it isn't from your, your, your unfavorable circumstances. It isn't from your, your unfaithful lifestyle. No, no, no. He came to save you from your sin. You see, because here's the thing. With enough work on your own, you can escape those unfavorable circumstances. You can change the way things are in your life to make them better and escape it. Your unfaithful, unfaithful lifestyle, you can look at it and, and come to yourself where you say, I'm just tired of living this life. And you can choose in your own strength and sometimes with the help of others to be able to escape those things that, that, that maybe are holding you in bondage. You can find deliverance from that on your own. But there's one thing you cannot escape in your own strength. You cannot escape your sin. The Bible makes very clear in Romans chapter number 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in verse... 23 of chapter number 6, he says, the wages of sin is death. John chapter number 3, verse number 18, John wrote, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, friend, the greatest need in your life is not for God to save you from your unfavorable circumstances. It's not to save you from your unfaithful lifestyle. No, Jesus came to save you from your inescapable sin. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, uh, and, and, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, that death that he talks about in Romans chapter number 5 is not just the death of this physical body. It's a death of separation from God for all of eternity in a place called a lake of fire. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 8, though, gives us the great news. 
God commendeth his love toward, and it says us, but you could put your name there. God commendeth his love toward Kyle. And that while Kyle was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Titus 3.5 tells us it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing, regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Jesus was born on that incredible night 2,000 years ago so that He could die on a cross to save you from your sins. He gave His life for you and He wants to be your Savior today. The question is where we began. Is He your Savior, have you put your trust and faith in Him? Have you gotten in the wheelbarrow? Or do you simply believe that He can do that? Listen, there's no room on the tightrope for for Jesus and anything else. You can't get across with Jesus and your good works. There's no room for it. It's Jesus and that's it. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. It's through Jesus Christ alone. Friend, have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Say, Kyle, it seems a lot. I don't know about this. Friend, The only way that you're going to get an eternity in heaven is by trusting Christ alone. Notice I didn't say Christ plus this Baptist church. (laughs) Christ plus this preacher. Christ plus, plus any other church or denomination or religion or any other thing you can think up or your good works or your baptism or, or any other thing that you can add to it. No, no, no. None of that. Christ. In Christ alone. You say, Kyle, I don't know if I want to believe you. Well, that's fine. But it's interesting because the story of the woman at the well, is, is, it continues. After she accepts Christ, she, she realizes that, that He is the Messiah. The One. The Bible tells us she goes and she begins to tell everybody about the salvation that she's found in Christ. She's proclaiming the truth that Jesus was the one that could forgive her of her sins. The one thing she couldn't escape on her own. I love what the Bible says about the response of those that heard her message in John chapter number 4, verse 42. They say to this woman, they say, "Now, now we believe. But not because of your saying, thy saying. No, we have heard Him ourselves and know that He is indeed the Christ. Listen, the Savior of the world. They knew that Jesus was Savior not because of what she said, but because of the words of Jesus. And friend, this morning, can I encourage you, don't take my word for it. Take the words of Jesus from this book. Trust in it. He wants to be your personal Savior from your sins today.
2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 2 says, For he saith, I have, I have heard thee, and in its time accepted. In the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you haven't accepted Christ, he wants you to accept him today. Now as we wrap up, I've got one final challenge. If you have accepted him as your Savior, can I challenge you to live your life like he's your Savior every day? If he saved you, you don't have to live for him. But if he saved you, you sure should want to. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and verses 14 and 15, it says, For the love of God constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we are all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. No, no, no. But they should live unto him which died for them and rose again. He said, listen, you shouldn't be living for yourself. But you should live for the one that is your Savior, the one that saved you from your sins. That's who you should be living for. And it should show. I've shared this story before, but it's one of my favorites. Story of a little girl who was troubled when she was coming home from Sunday school. She was riding in the car with her dad. And her dad could see that she was struggling and, and could see from the look on her face that something was wrong. She said, honey, what's wrong? She said, well, daddy, the teacher said today that if I accepted Christ as my Savior, He lives in my heart. Father was somewhat confused and pressed more. She said, yes, Jesus comes into your heart when you trust Him as Savior. What's, what's wrong? The little girl replied, if Jesus saved me and is in my heart, wouldn't he stick out? It's a good thought. If Jesus is your Savior, can I ask you, does he stick out? Hope this Christmas season, as you reflect on the Savior who was born to die for you, Not to die for your unfavorable circumstances, though He can give you strength to escape them. Not to die for your unfaithful lifestyle, though He has the power through His Holy Spirit to enable you to escape that. No, no, no. He died for the one thing that you cannot escape on your own. He came as Savior to deliver you from your sins. And I hope you'll respond by trusting Him and by living for Him. And maybe, just maybe, let Him stick out of your life for others to see the Savior they so desperately need as well. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, for the truths that we find in it. Thank You, God, for this wonderful Scripture. Unto us a child is born. Jesus Christ came as Savior. And I pray, God, for those in this room that every person, Lord, before they walk out of this room, they'd get it settled. They'd know for sure that they're going to spend eternity in heaven someday. And for those that do know, I pray, Lord, that they'd let them stick out of their life so that others can see the Savior that they need. Thank you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed.